Welcome to Rainbow Turtle Rebooted. This is a podcast series about fair trade and the people involved in it. It is brought to you by Rainbow Turtle, the fair trade shop and charity based in Scotland. Welcome to this episode of the podcast, where we recorded Martin Rhodes of the Scottish Fair Trade Forum speaking at the Rainbow Turtle AGM on the 21st of October 2021. You'll remember that we met Martin in episode 4 of our podcast series, where he spoke about his life and the work that the forum does in regard to fair trade. This time, Martin was asked to talk about what the Scottish Fair Trade Forum was doing in relation to the COP26 talks in Glasgow this year and how that links in with fair trade. He made the powerful point that there can be no climate justice without trade justice. His presentation has been divided into two episodes, the first being the talk itself, the second being the questions that members of the AGM asked and Martin's replies. This episode is his talk. So sit back and enjoy. First of all, thank you very much for the invitation to join you for this AGM. Um, it is the first in-person fair trade meeting I've done since Fair Trade Fortnight 2020 in Somerset. A lot has happened since then. Um, so we have managed um, to have many events and meetings online. Um, as I said, this is the first time I've been invited out in person to meet in a you know a fair trade meeting um in that length of time um the downside of that is colin doesn't have a mouse to click on to put mute when i've been talking for too long <laughs> so he must have to resort to old-fashioned techniques of um signaling to me when it's time to wind up um in terms of obviously the focus that colin has mentioned um with regards to COP26 in a few weeks' time taking place in Glasgow. Um, the question often asked to me is, what's the relevance of fair trade to the discussions, the debates, the arguments around the climate emergency? And I suppose to start with, let's think about some of the context of that. Some of that is external to fair trade, and some of it is... Um, internal to fair trade. In terms of internally, I think in terms of the fair trade movement, we have concentrated now for several decades on some key messages about the importance of fair trade around the idea of a fair price for products and for labour. And that's probably been our most central message. And it's been a message about Um, social justice, about ensuring that people are paid the worth of their products and their labour in producing those products. And I think that's an absolutely central message to fair trade, of course it is. Um, We've also talked at times about the fair trade premium and about the value of that in terms of, in particular, the impact that has had in terms of social programmes in health and education 
um, in things like clean water supply and so on. And again, key messages about the difference fair trade makes. And then in terms of the environment, it tends to get added on to a sort of list of, and you know, fair trade also um, ensures that people have decent working conditions and they have um, you know, environmental standards um, at their work and in the way things are produced. And therefore we haven't really been putting out a message that climate is central to what we do and what fair trade is about. And I'm not saying that's an error because actually all those other messages are very important um, and are central to what we have to say. But it just makes it more difficult in terms of the context now when so much emphasis is on climate to ensure that what we have to say is listened to in those debates. And I'll come back to why it is central to those debates shortly. In terms of the external um, context, there has been this shift in terms of the perception of climate change to some extent, perhaps not fast enough or to a great enough extent, but more and more a recognition that what we're in is a climate emergency, that climate change is here now, that it is having a detrimental effect on people and communities um, across the globe. And in that context, obviously, we come to what's the response to that globally. And we'll see what comes out of COP26. But there has been a growing emphasis among policymakers um, on at least recognizing that there is a growing problem. How they've responded to it is up to, for debate and discussion in terms of how adequate it's been. But there is at least an acknowledgement um, by decision makers that there is an issue to be addressed in most places. There are, of course, those who deny it. And I think more recently, the global pandemic has brought to greater attention the underlying issue of global inequalities, both in terms of wealth, but also in terms of power and access to decision-making. And I think that helps to frame how we respond to the climate emergency. Because if we are to respond to it adequately, then we do need to look at those questions of global inequalities. And when I come on in more detail to talk about how fair trade fits into the response to the climate emergency, my central argument is that we do need to address those issues of global inequalities through a whole range of measures if we are going to effectively respond to the climate emergency. And in taking a step back, in terms of that's the context we're looking at this in, taking a step back, it's use, useful, I think, to go back to the principles that underline what we're doing in terms of fair trade. And that's our starting point in terms of how do we approach the climate emergency as people interested in fair trade, in trade justice. And if you look at the World Fair Trade Organization's list of 10 principles of fair trade, 
as a sort of guide to what it is that fair trade is about. Um, opportunities for disadvantaged producers, transparency and accountability, fair trade practices and fair payment, no child or forced labour, no discrimination, gender equity and freedom of association, good working conditions, capacity building, promoting fair trade, and respect for the environment. That, in terms of the underlying principles of fair trade, um, sets out for us how we should approach a response to the climate emergency. Those principles hold true across the board in terms of what is needed if we're to successfully, as a global community, respond to the climate emergency. And one of the key things, if we talk to fair trade producers, um, that is absolutely clear and has been clear for some time, is that those of us in the global north need to stop talking as if climate change is a danger for the future. Climate change is happening now and the impact is happening now. And as I said earlier, in terms of this is the first in-person fair trade meeting I've done since um, Fair Trade Fortnight 2020. And the visitors we had during Fair Trade Fortnight from Malawi talked then very much about the impact of climate change on them now. And speak to most people, and particularly those involved in agriculture in large parts of the global south, they will tell you that there are huge changes and have been for some time to climate. Whether that be in terms of changes to um, weather patterns, climate change in the sense of droughts, floods, and the knock-on effect of that, which can be in terms of changes in the types of pests that they get on their crops. That changes significantly as temperatures change, as water levels change, rainfall changes, and so on. And also the effect on their crops in terms of changing temperatures and changing climate on the yield that they get. So I think the first thing we need to absolutely pin down is that climate change is happening. It is having an impact. And it is not about a threat for the future. It is something that's been going on for some time. And you know, people talk about COP26 sometimes as the last chance to address the issue of the climate emergency. Well, it may be, but we need to be clear that actually some things have already happened. Um, it may be about you know, essentially reversing um, over a long period of time um, or slowing down the speed at which it happens and try and push it back into reverse. But we're not going to stop it happening altogether because it's happened already and it's happening still. And we can't turn back time. But COP26 does present an opportunity to look at how do we actually change course. And already, if you look at it in terms of the response of fair trade, it has been at the front line of mitigation and adaption. And fair trade is already dealing with issues of climate change and is at the front line of that. And the other thing in terms of, and I've already said it by implication, but in terms of we look at who was largely responsible for creating the problem and then look who has largely felt the impact of the problem, these are not the same group of people. Um, you know, it is absolutely true that the, 
the likelihood is if you have done the least and your community has done the least to cause the problems of the climate emergency, you are the most likely to be actually feeling already the impact of it, the detrimental impact of it. And that comes back to my central point. Underlying all of these discussions about the climate emergency has to be an acknowledgement of global inequalities, about people's access to wealth, access to decision-making, access to control over their own destiny. So in that context, in terms of what are we looking for from COP26 as a fair trade movement, um, I should have brought along with me in terms of the, in terms of the link to it, but there's a document that um, was released by the global fair trade movement a few weeks ago in advance of COP26, which the Scottish Fair Trade Forum is a signatory to. And it sets out the key messages and the key asks in terms of COP26. In summary, I suppose, in terms of I was to pick out the highlights of what we believe is necessary in terms of COP26 um, and in terms of it needs to look at how business and trade is done. So what do we need from COP26 and beyond? It's not just about what happens in Glasgow in a couple of weeks' time. It's what then happens after that. Um, we need to ensure that trade is done on fair trade terms. We absolutely have to have that, and that is central to what we've always argued. But we need to ensure that trade is done fairly. And that is a, you know, a demand we need to make of business, that they do trade fairly. It's also a demand that we need to make of governments, that trade deals, policies on trade, are done in such a way that they coherently address and support human rights, fair trade principles, and climate action. So it is about what businesses do and how they do trade, but it's also how governments regulate and make policy around trade. And that's what we need to happen. We also need to ensure that governments in wealthier nations do not make policies around mitigation that actually put the cost on lower income countries. There is a real danger that having created the problem, in terms of the richer countries having created the problems, and then made poorer countries bear the cost of them, that the same will happen about some of the measures put in place, potentially, to resolve the problem. That actually, the cost of that will be placed on lower-income countries. And there is a real danger in that. So we need to be very careful about what we're asking governments to do and about what they're doing. And, you know, in terms of... There is a very simplistic argument that people often make to me about, well, if we didn't trade at all, that would just solve everything. Um, because you wouldn't have all this stuff being transported about um, and actually you'd all just cut your carbon footprint because um, you wouldn't have all these cargoes being you know, transported around the world. My response to that is we do need to look at transport and how goods are transported. Of course we do. Um, but that's a very simplistic view of what the climate emergency is because you know, air miles are one element of the carbon footprint of a product. 
um, you know, the transporting from production to consumption is one element of the carbon footprint. But a large part of the carbon footprint is in the production methods and in the consumption uh, of those products. So the air miles argument is important. It's an important factor, but it's an important factor in the whole carbon footprint argument. And then carbon footprint is only one aspect of the environmental impact. There are a whole range of other areas in terms you need to address with regard to environmental impact, such as biodiversity, um, in terms of in terms of you know the health of, of soil and so on. So there's a complexity to how we to how we respond. I mean, quite simply, if we were all to stop trading, so we wouldn't have any you know, air miles, the consequences of that would be the most dire possible for the climate, because actually pushing literally millions of people into absolute poverty by withdrawing their source of income is a recipe for absolute global disaster in terms of climate as well as every other way. So we need to think about, in terms of the measures that we're taking here, who's paying the cost of that? And the, you know, the people who are paid, who created the problem, need to pay the, the greatest price. And the other part of that is in terms of those who have been impacted the most by this are actually also not just victims in this, they're also those at the front line actually working out the solutions. They're, they've dealt with it now for years. So actually when these talks take place, we need to ensure that those people are heard, that their voices are at the table and being listened to in terms of seeking the solutions. So in terms of coming back to that central question about what's fair trade got to do with the climate emergency, my answer is that it is absolutely central that we address the issues of how business is done, how trade is done. We will not resolve the climate emergency by only looking at environmental measures. Environmental measures are absolutely central to resolving the climate emergency, but alone they will fail. We need to have environmental responses, but we also need to have social and economic responses. We need to have those three pillars to the response, and because that is the only way we are going to resolve the, you know, the emergency that we're in. So therefore, our central message for the fair trade movement has to be that there will be no climate justice without trade justice. It is global inequalities that has fueled the climate emergency. Unless we deal with those global inequalities in terms of how we do trade and business, then we are not going to stop or reverse the climate emergency. In terms of how can we get involved, um, there are a number of different ways um, from the very sort of practical in terms of um, you know, specific things. So we need to be making sure that our voices are heard by those making decisions. So there is currently out there, um, you may have seen a petition from the Fair Trade Foundation asking people to um, sign that around the climate emergency response to it. What I can do is I can send you various links to this afterwards in terms of, um, so you can get them. We have our own fair trade pledge and we're asking members of the Scottish Parliament to sign that. So you know, 
get in contact. If you go onto our website, and again, make sure you get the links. Make sure that our um, elected representatives um, in the UK Parliament and in the Scottish Parliament are aware that people out there care about fair trade and about how we do trade and achieving trade justice as part of the solution to the climate emergency. We need to make sure that our voices are heard. In terms of other ways in which um, you know, your voices can be heard, I always think actually speaking to other people um, in your local community, in organisations that you're involved in. I mean, you do it here in terms of the conversation earlier about the shop as a hub for people learning about things. But actually the power of that, you know, sometimes is so much more than anybody's upstanding making a speech on a, you know, on a platform. Um, too often, actually, those situations, you know, quite often anyway, that people already talk to people already agree with you. Um, as opposed to actually talking to other people in terms of, and actually, you know, just gently, just talking about your concerns um, to other people that you know is actually of vital importance um, in terms of shaping how people view things and shaping that broader agenda. So I would say in terms of it's almost top-down um, and bottom-up. It's about actually going to the people at the top in terms of the decision-makers and saying, here's what we want. But it's also bottom-down in terms of how we actually make those messages out there just to people that we know in terms of what we buy um, and the choices that we make. And that's, a, you know, that's the sort of bottom-up approach to doing it. Um, I will send you links to very, uh, some events that are taking place in terms of um, around in, during COP, um, some of which are online. Um, so you'll be able to, in terms of join them online, in terms of um, not getting into Glasgow for it. Um, so there are a number of ways like that. But I think the key thing is, I think, is actually getting that message out there that fair trade is absolutely central to that response to the climate emergency. We need to change the way in which we do business and we do trade globally. Um, that we need to sort out that problem of global inequalities. Because it is what's fueled the climate emergency and it will continue to fuel the climate emergency. We need to have a response to this which is environmental, yes, but also social and economic. Um, so that's my final um, plea to you is actually go out there and make that argument. Thank you. Thanks very much. I hope you both enjoyed and were moved by Martin's passionate talk. We plan to have part two, the question and answer session, out fairly shortly during COP26. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Turtle Rebooted podcast. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe to our series and better still rate our podcast and leave us a comment. Also, tell your friends! A wee thanks to Patrick Quinn for his piece of music, Dr Anne and her books, and to Patrick and Maureen Quinn for playing so beautifully. We'll see you further on. Cheerio!